0: Well, good day to everyone. Uh, welcome to this May 12th edition of the Ag Market Network. I'm Pat McClatchy. We appreciate you joining us for our monthly cotton market teleconference. Our program, as is always, is sponsored by BASF. Uh, BASF, is a, uh, as you know, are the owners of FiberMax and Stoneville Cotton Seed. Uh, we've got a special broadcast today. We're going to do things a little differently. In addition to our cotton panel, uh, we will be joined by a climatologist. Uh, his name is David Zierden, and uh, he will we'll introduce him later. What we want to do first is to start off and let Dr. John Robinson comment on the crop report today, and then after that, uh, we will introduce our special guest. and And so, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, John, thanks for leading us today.
1: Thank you, Pat. So I've I've got double duty this month because we're going to look at our normal. Uh, view of the world and U.S. situations, and then we've got old and new crop numbers to take a look at. So I'll get to it as quickly as I can and through it as quickly. So uh, looking at the old crop, the month over month change in world numbers for the old crop, basically we saw some modest tightening. Um, the beginning stocks were um, 600,000 fewer bales, and that was, I think, due mostly to reductions, historical downward revisions. In, Indian production, going back a couple of years. Uh, production didn't change month over month very much, even though there was a half a million bale increase in China, that was offset mostly in India. Uh, the trade categories were a little higher, as they have been every month now for the last, I don't know, three or four months. Uh, they bumped them up. Um, domestic use in the world, old crop was uh, was a bit lower and they attributed that to uh, COVID disruption in India, which we may talk more about. And so all that added up to basically 300,000 fewer uh, bales of old crop world-ending stocks, uh, which, you know, that's neutral to slightly slightly bullish. So now we have new crop numbers uh, with the May WASD. Uh, for So for the world now, we're interested in the kind of the year-over-year change, new crop compared to old crop, and so um the uh beginning stocks like i just said, were three hundred thousand bales fewer they they got a little bit tighter year over year they amount to a little over four and a half million fewer bales of beginning stocks for this new crop uh, balance sheet so a reduction in there but but an increase in production usda is forecasting almost a hundred and nineteen and a half million bales of new crop production that's they' They see that coming from some of our competitors from Brazil, Australia, West African country, the Indian subcontinent, and turkey so so you had you had uh, almost offsetting uh, effects on supply there more fewer beginning stocks, more production a, a small increase in supply uh, the trade uh, the trade categories were both forty five and a half million bales, which is a little bit lower than than what we see in the in the old crop balance sheet um they're projecting uh um a hundred and twenty one thousand almost 121 and a half bales of of domestic use which is let's see three and a half percent higher uh, year over year and you know about four million bales higher uh, and so that's that's assuming uh Assuming continued economic recovery, and I guess that's assuming that the situation in India doesn't really get worse. Um, so that that winds up with uh, ending stocks uh, at the end of the world new crop balance sheet around around 91 million bales, which is a uh, over a little bit over two million bale reduction year over year. And so you know that looks like a somewhat improving situation there. So turn into the U.S. Uh, there were some small, you know, it's late in the marketing year. I wasn't expecting, I don't think anybody was expecting too many big changes in the old crop balance sheet, but we had some, and we had some that were expected, and i got to give them credit. We had some that were called by Gerald last month who, as I recall, said something like, you know, he could he could see a few hundred thousand, a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand fewer bales of production, and he could see some more exports, which would tighten us down on the index stocks, and that's exactly what happened. They cut 90,000. Bales to square uh, what NAS says the production number was to what AMS said the classing number was or the, the Jennings numbers anyway. So they cut ninety thousand bales of old crop production, and they added a half a million bales of of exports, and so that took um, six hundred thousand bales off of the ending stocks number. It's got us down to three point three million, which is tight. And gives us, I think, some you know justification for uh, a rationale for the futures market doing doing what it's doing. Some fundamental uh, justification there for that rebound. And it also really tightens up uh, the situation going into the 21-22 balance sheet, which I'll turn to next. Um, you know, all in all, with the new crop numbers, I don't I don't think they were particularly uh, surprising or unexpected. Um, they applied. On the production side, they applied average yields. They assumed 20% abandonment. Uh, they have used the prospective plantings number of 12 million, and they come up with a 17 million bale crop. Um, they see some slight recovery in domestic spinning, so they, they bump that up a little bit. Their export number is is a little bit lower. Um, I guess you could say that you know we're at historically high exports now, so now maybe they're back to normal at 147 Million bales of U.S. exports, uh, and maybe they're anticipating just more competition from Brazil and Australia. So the bottom line of all that is a projection of ending stocks that are tight at about 3.1 million bales. Uh, if I was going to, I don't really have an argument with with the uh, USDA's new projections here. If you know they assume 20% abandonment, I would assume I would assume 30. Um until I see something different now, I'm about to listen with all, all all ears listening to a meteorologist so but you know i'm using I'm using a year like two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen as my reference year, which was a dry year following previous record dry years uh the abandonment in twelve and thirteen was like thirty two and thirty eight percent i'm I'm not going that high, but I'm gonna assume thirty until but just based on the anecdotal stuff until until we see something differently, and that the difference between assuming twenty and thirty percent abandonment is basically a million bales uh, from it's either sixteen or seventeen million on production, and you can carry that through to any stocks if you want or play around with the export number uh, but that that's basically the only the only difference I would throw out there Now, I do have some real questions which aren't going to get answered until June, the end of June uh, about planted acreage, you know we're all working with twelve million you know, the additional wrinkle and the drought is going to reinforce cotton plantings in Texas, although there is this wrinkle of really strong sorghum cash prices that, you know, remains to be seen if it takes, that takes acres away in uh, the western part of Texas. And then the other thing is, you know, just again, anecdotal stories about people planting their planned corn acreage. And then there's another field and at the margin, they just went ahead and planted that to corn or went ahead and planted that to soybeans. Of course, we're talking in the Delta and and uh, the southeast for that kind of consideration. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we only had, I don't know, 11.8 million uh, planted acres. But, again, that that just remains to be seen, and we've, we've got time for that outcome. So, Pat, I'll just leave it at that. I, I'll, from a price standpoint, I would just say these tight outcomes, uh, to my way of thinking, support the idea of new crop December 21 trading, you know, 10 cents in a, in a range, 10 cents above where it is right now from now till September. So okay. I'll hand it back to you.
0: All right, thanks. Uh, the, David Zierden has uh, joined us today. He's the state climatologist of Florida at the uh, Florida Climate Center and Center for Ocean Atmospheric Prediction Studies at, the, at Florida State University. David, we appreciate you being with us. It's, been, it's planning time, and uh, West Texas has been very dry. The Mid-South and the Delta have been very wet, and the Southeast has had their own issues. So we're really anxious to hear from you to get your thoughts going forward on how you see weather. Thanks for being with us.
2: Okay, yeah, thank you very much, Pat, for inviting me today. Uh, you pretty much summed it up in that one statement, but I'll, I'll see if I can elaborate a little bit uh, you asked me here today to kind of give an outlook for the summer and the growing season and what kind of weather and climate patterns we can expect, and I will get to that, but uh, first we need to begin by looking at where we're at right now and how we got there. So to do that, I'm going to back up a little bit to and kind of see what unfolded through the winter and spring, and uh, then we'll talk about where we might go from there, and uh We'll begin by looking at the phase of the Pacific Ocean, which has a big impact on our winter climate patterns here and uh, along the whole southern United States, uh, especially the cotton belt from Texas, northern Gulf Coast, the peninsula of Florida, and even up the the southeast Atlantic coast. And this winter, we were... uh, we were in the La Niña phase, which means colder than normal uh, ocean temperatures along the equator in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, La Niña can be thought of as the opposite of El Niño. And we were in a moderate to strong La Niña phase this, this past winter. And usually, the, typically, La Niña causes a jet stream pattern that leaves the southern tier of the United States warmer and drier than normal in in the winter months basically november through march and we can expect this kind of uh climate pattern during the la niña basically eight out of ten times uh unfortunately or maybe fortunately this year was one of those exceptions we that typical la niña pattern never really sh- uh set up uh here in the southeast uh uh much of Texas, the deep south, uh, was actually near normal as far as temperatures go in the cold weather months, November through, through March. Uh, even with that cold blast and record-setting cold snap we saw in February, when we look at the winter at the whole, as a whole, temperatures were near normal across most of the deep south, the southeast, and the cotton belt. If we look at rainfall uh, patterns over, over these same months, uh, the southeast was mostly wetter than normal uh, during the winter, which is opposite of what we'd expect during La Nina. Uh, central and eastern Texas was a little drier than normal, but as a whole, Texas during the winter months was, uh, was near normal uh, with rainfall also. So, again, not what we'd expect from La Nina. But uh, if we take a look at the drought, and we'll do that in more detail, that's developed in West Texas, that was really initiated last summer, beginning in April and May and going through the summer. And, and also, for that West Texas area, climatologically, they, it's a dry season during the winter, less than an inch of rain per month. So winter rainfall really doesn't make or break the hydrology of the re- region. It's more the, 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 the warm months in the, where they get more rainfall, two to three inches per month. So, moving on from the winter, as we transitioned into spring, we really had a very active spring pattern with a series of powerful low-pressure systems uh, uh, that, that affected the whole south, from Texas uh, to, through Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and the Carolinas. And uh, these really active low-pressure systems brought a lot of severe weather, uh, tornado reports on several different occasions. A lot of hail damage across uh, northern Alabama, southern Georgia, even in Florida. So a lot of severe weather this spring. And these uh, this active pattern also brought a lot of heavy rainfall. Just a couple weeks ago, there was a, an event that brought uh, seven to eight inches of rainfall in one day to uh, some panha- Florida panhandle counties like Jackson County. And also a, a big swath across southern Georgia received that heavy heavy rainfall uh but elsewhere from basically central texas to uh uh, up up through georgia we've been above normal rainfall over the last six to eight weeks with this very active spring pattern and right now i'm i'll talk about recent rainfall patterns again uh just in the last two weeks especially with the an event that really affected central texas uh, uh, about a week ago they received two inches or more over a broad area. However, as we transitioned into that West Texas growing region, the amounts dropped off significantly to to an inch or even less than an inch. So this one event, while it was helpful, it nowhere came close to catching up from what happened last summer. And if we look further out over the last 60 days, most of Texas is around near normal. However, Louisiana, southern Mississippi, Alabama, are all way, way above normal uh, uh, rainfall surpluses of 8 to 12 inches or even more in some spots over just the last 60 days. And looking back further, if we look back for a full year, there you can really see the, the, the deficits that accumulated in west Texas, deficits of up to 12 inches, over the past 365 days, where from Louisiana eastward, most of that area is much above normal in rainfall over the last year. So now we'll start talking about the drought analysis and I always like to look at, and I'm very involved with the US Drought Monitor. It's a weekly map that kind of paints the picture of the severity of drought across the country. And according to the US Drought Monitor, Most of the southeast United States is drought free, as you would expect with the above normal rainfall. They do show some abnormal dryness in the Piedmont area of the Carolinas, but abnormal dryness is not considered drought and it could be just temporary. However, if you look at the the, the southwest United States, that's where the the real uh, severe and even exceptional drought is. The highest category on this map is D4, or they call it exceptional drought, which corresponds to a 1 in 50 year or 1 in 100 year event. And a broad area of southern uh, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, and even portions of west Texas are in this highest category of drought right now. And as we proceed eastward, as we get in towards central Texas, the drought severity f- falls down pretty quickly to where most of central and eastern Texas is only in the very low categories of drought or not at all. Uh, and thanks to that, that uh, rainfall event just last week, uh, there's been some really drastic improvement in central and east Texas uh, in this drought monitor. However, West Texas remains in in uh, severe, extreme, and even what they call exceptional drought, which again is a one in 50 year uh, type event. Looking closer at that West Texas area, uh, I pulled up a, a, a rainfall plot for Lubbock, Texas and it shows the deficits that have accumulated since April of 2020, basically about a year ago. And just in that time, uh, the, the last year, normal rainfall during that time should be about 20 and a half inches. So far, it's, the accumulation is only 12.11 inches. So we're close to only half the rainfall that should be accumulating in that area of West Texas and in in this graph i'm looking at we went through all of april of 2020 and half of may without a drop of rainfall and then long periods in september october and also in november without a drop of rainfall so that's really where the drought set in and intensified Uh, looking at some of the soil moisture products from noaa and the climate prediction center again portions of that west texas Uh, growing region uh, are at less than 5% of normal soil moisture, so really, really lacking in soil moisture there. Uh, I looked at groundwater analyses also, and there were very few wells in the area, but the one monitoring well that I saw was, again, below that 5% threshold of 5% of normal. So both groundwater and soil moisture still very, very low in in that growing region. So so now we'll start looking ahead at what we can expect in the future. And we'll we'll start in the short term. And this active pattern continues over central and eastern Texas. And the the seven-day quantitative precipitation forecast shows actually the likelihood of uh, heavy rainfall across east Texas, uh, three to five inches in some spots. However, as you proceed westward, that falls off greatly, whereas we get into the counties that are near the New Mexico uh, state line, they're only expecting fractions of an inch, if any, in the next week. So I think it's – I don't know the area that well, but I think probably the eastern edges of that growing region are doing much better than those closer to the state line. Looking further ahead, uh, the weather prediction models can't give us an exact forecast uh, for 7 to 14 days, but they can kind of hint at the overall pattern. And this 8 to 14 day forecast uh, favors above normal temperature, warmer than normal. But it also favors uh, continued above normal precipitation for central and eastern Texas, Louisiana, and and the Gulf Coast. However, that west Texas region is in the transition area where there's really not a strong forecast for that area. Looking further out at the the seasonal prediction uh, for May, June, and July. Uh, We call this a seasonal outlook, and it's produced by NOAA's Climate Prediction Center. Uh, Before I give it to you, let me give you the caveat. Especially with the El Nino-La Nina cycle, we do have some predictability of these seasonal patterns in the winter months. However, regardless of the state of the Pacific Ocean, uh, the summer months, Rainfall especially regional rainfall patterns are very difficult to predict and these climate predictions really have very little skill in the summer months. So that's the caveat. Uh, temperature they do a, a lot better. Uh, the temperature outlook for May, June and July is uh, for uh, greatly increased chances of above normal temperatures for Texas and the, the southwest. and still pretty good chances for above-normal temperatures across the remainder of the country, including the southeast. Uh, But if we look at the precipitation forecast, uh, what it shows is higher chances for above-normal rainfall across southern Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. However, all of Texas, they have categorized as as below normal rainfall is more likely so that's not good news for breaking the drought uh, over in that West Texas area so taking into account all these climate predictions uh, and also I said the summer predictions don't have a whole lot of skill but we can glean some information just from the long-term averages or climatology and again like I said earlier Winter doesn't really affect the hydrology that much because uh, this area, of, uh, especially West Texas, only receives less than an inch of rainfall per month on average. However, during the summer months, this same area receives anywhere from two to three inches per month. So that's where you really uh, make gains as far as replenishing the groundwater and soil moisture. Uh So with that, the NOAA's Climate Prediction Center also produces a seasonal drought outlook. And with the southeast being very moist and with no drought there, of course, there's really, they have nothing to say about the southeast. No drought development is likely or anything like that. However, over that West Texas area, New Mexico, Arizona, uh, it's very strong forecast for the drought to persist. Uh my own take on that is, especially with the warming trend we've seen in the last decades and with this seasonal forecast for warmer than normal temperatures, even if that area gets normal rainfall during the summer, it's not going to alleviate the drought or catch up the, the soil moisture, the surface water and groundwater deficits that have accumulated over the last year. So it's, it's going to be a, a tough going. Uh, even if we get normal rainfall during the summer months. Uh, one other thing I'll relay is uh, talking to William Birdsong at the Wiregrass Research and Education Center. Uh, with all the rain in, in the tri state area with Alabama, South Georgia, the Florida Panhandle, planting is anywhere from two to three weeks behind. It's just hard to get a, a good weather window where you where they can get out in the field and i'm sure the situation is probably the same or even worse in louisiana and mississippi uh so that's kind of what we're looking at now i'll summarize oh one other thing i wanted to mention was the hurricane season forecast uh NOAA's seasonal forecast won't come out until the last week of may but colorado state university has been doing this for decades and They are calling for a more active than normal season, uh, 17 named storms compared to an average of 12, eight hurricanes compared to an average of six and a half. Uh, So they're still predicting an average, uh, an above average hurricane season, but it's not as dire as the prediction last year. So while we may still have an active season, Hopefully, we won't have a repeat of 2020. Uh, And hurricanes have been a big issue with cotton in recent years. Uh, Lots of damage from Hurricane Michael uh, in 2018. Uh, Last year, we had Hurricane Laura that hit Louisiana, and Hurricane Sally, which between wind and heavy, heavy rainfall, did a lot of damage in Alabama and Georgia. So, uh, So hurricanes are on the growers' mind, and and we'll have to be cognizant of that again this year. So with that, let me just summarize real quickly. Uh, we did have a moderate to strong La Nina event this winter, uh, but it has dissipated now and won't be affecting our summer climate patterns. Uh, however, with this winter La Nina, we did not see the typical warm and dry conditions in the deep south and the southeast. Uh, what we did see was above normal winter rainfall across much of the southeast, uh, near or below normal rainfall in Texas. Uh, during the spring, we had a very active spring storm season, uh, heavy rainfall and severe weather anywhere from central Texas through the southeast and northern Gulf Coast. Uh, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, exceptional and extreme drought continues across much of West Texas, uh, where rainfall deficits have really been building since April of 2020. Uh, in the near term forecast, heavy rainfall is possible for central and east Texas, but much lesser amounts are forecast for west Texas. Uh, the, uh, the seasonal for- outlooks favor above normal temperatures, strongly favor above normal temperatures, and below normal rainfall for the Texas area. Uh, drought is very likely to continue through the growing season there, and an active hurricane season is forecasted, but not as, not as bad as last year. And again, the take-home message is that uh, even with normal rainfall in that West Texas region, it's not going to catch up the, for the severity of drought that exists there right now. And I think that's all I've got right now.
0: Okay, David. Um, Well, we'll we'll just first open it up to our panel to see if they've got any questions. It sounds like the trend, and you let me know if this sounds right. But the trend we've seen toward dryness in West Texas and the wet conditions to the southeast and the mid South and Delta, that that trend looks like it could continue. Is that what you're feeling? In the short term,
2: for the next one to two weeks, uh, yeah, that that looks likely. Further out from two f- further out past two weeks, uh, yeah, the seasonal forecast kind of hints at that also
0: okay uh for for our our group or speakers, what questions would you have if any for uh, David?
3: Hi this is Kip. Uh, I do have one question. first, I'd just like to say thank you. That was an excellent presentation i I, I really do appreciate that, that was very helpful um my question to you is you mentioned that even with uh normal rainfall uh average rainfall from west texas it wouldn't be enough to catch up what would it take uh for it to catch up i mean how extreme would the weather the rain have to be are we talking 30 percent more on average to sort of and i know timing is important for that as well but um it's it's it sounds like we're painting the forecast a pretty bleak picture there. What would it take uh, to sort of change that? And if and you may not be able to answer that question, I may have
2: given you something impossible. But
3: that's what I'm. Yeah, possible. no,
2: I. You no, know, it's a great question. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't know the hydrology of the area well enough, or haven't looked at it that closely to be able to give you any numbers. Uh, just in general terms, you know, it would take a series of, of of good rain events and especially well-timed rain rain events to start catching up and really uh, replenishing that soil moisture and the groundwater is going to take even longer to to replenish thank
4: you thank you David O A Cleveland and like tip said I would very much appreciate your comment very much on key here uh, I, I noted as well that uh, it's it's been to me personally i would say a rather cool uh i call it summer i guess it's still late spring but uh i know the soil temperature well we're still for example in mississippi central mississippi getting down into the 40s at night i it's the soil temps in carolinas were uh, pretty cold cool uh not very desirable for cotton but uh i i which just means to me that we're gonna get off to a slow start, and your and your water, your hydrology says that too. But uh, I, I, to me, anyway, uh, but and kept comment about asking about uh, how much above normal rainfall—if that's the fair way to present what he said—the uh, key to me was that you suggested that we were going to be much warmer, uh, and that's going to suck more and more. Of that limited water out of soil, how
2: much warmer? If you have that
4: that number, you can reflect on. Uh,
2: yeah, no, the, the, these these seasonal forecasts they don't give numbers like that. They just they what they do is give shifts in probability, and uh, so it's a, a strong probability that we will be above normal in the temperatures, but they don't really say how much and. You, Just going by recent trends, I would say anywhere from 1 to 3 degrees Fahrenheit above normal when you you look over the course of the summer season. Okay.
4: And that is pretty – doesn't sound – I don't hate to use the word drastic, but I guess that is
2: borderline (laughs) drastic that's what's
4: exactly about it. It's it's very
2: drastic. I, I I'm much more in tune with the climate of uh, the southeast, the tri-state area, and and Florida. And in in the last five to ten years, we've seen a dramatic increase in overnight temperatures. And and anecdotally, I've heard a lot of stories about it affecting cotton crops and other crops uh, just because the soil temperatures stay elevated at night more so than they used to so it's certainly a concern
4: so from uh southwest georgia down back into the wiregrass area it's uh uh they do have concern about the temps yes exactly okay thank you very much
0: any any other questions for david Oh. Okay. Well, um, let's let's just kind of conclude this and just ask our panel to get back on the subject. And by the way, David, thanks so much. Very informative. We really appreciate you doing that. We understand you've got a busy schedule. If you need to go, we understand what we'll do now is just kind of wrap up and talking about crop prices and that type thing. But this was very timely, and we very much appreciate you joining us.
2: Okay, yeah, thank
0: you. I, I,
2: I enjoyed talking with the, this group. And, uh, yeah, any time you would like an update like that, and I can even make it shorter, uh, feel free to give, call on me. Great.
4: Well, Dave, David, along, let me butt in on Pat again, but just to, to say thank you again, but really to say that, you know, we ask these questions. We're thinking about yield, and so uh, and and your comments have a tremendous uh uh, give us tremendous indication about uh, what yield might be, so that's why I, that water and our and temperature questions come up. And thank you. And I don't want to interrupt too much, Pat. So thank you again.
2: You're very welcome.
0: All right, thank you. Oh, okay, guys, let's kind of open it up. Any, and we, I guess we need to do it kind of quick. But any closing thoughts on the crop report? Anything anybody wants to bring up before we get into our forecast for prices? Okay, well, John, let's start with you give us your give us your thoughts on where the market can go, where December might go to the upside. I think you already mentioned possibly ten cents to the upside uh is that right and uh or and what possible yeah. downside what might we have
1: Of course, it's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm gonna sign and, off and there's always and there's always <laughs> risk i'm glad you mentioned downside because you know, a lot of a lot of seed is going to get put in the ground and i don't know if it's not going to rain a lot on memorial day weekend so you know there's there's always risk to the downside even with the kind of forecast that we're probably all entertaining so i i would say broadly from uh Well, broadly, 75 to 95 is where I think it's going to be contained. So, there. All right. Okay. Uh, Gerald,
0: what
5: are your feelings on price? Well, 75 to 95, I think uh, that'll capture just about any possibility out there, and and, and that's very safe. You know, I'd probably be maybe a little bit more, Conservative on the upside and more friendly on the downside, 83 to to 93. Although I think you could easily stretch that up to, you know, 81 to to 97. The uh, um, I, I don't think I think we're going to have a delayed reaction to to, to today's report. I think uh, I think we're going to be kind of astounded in terms of offtake here in the next uh, a couple of weeks and. uh I think USDA was was more than um, more than generous. Uh, well, I think they were very fair in terms of raising exports. I don't know that I would have gone that high just yet, but uh, for this year's export numbers. But uh, certainly glad that they did. You can see why they didn't have a big export number for this next year. At least it's not as large as we'd like because you're just you're you know it's just going to be hard to get much below. Three million bales until we get into the into the season. So, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't think this I don't think this market has has had a chance to digest all these numbers just yet, and, and the implications for close to three million bale carryover. Um, and uh, I, I think once it does, you know, um, it won't be long before you know we're going to make a make an attempt at, at ninety cents plus on on the December contract.
0: Okay. Uh, Kip, what are your thoughts? I, I
3: I couldn't agree more with what both these men have said. I, I, I think that much of the cotton industry is thinking uh, along the lines of, of what this climatologist gave us today, uh, which really limits the downside in this market unless we get some deluge of rain in West Texas, which is clearly not, quote, in the cards, but... I think we're going to be trading that forecast until there's some reason to think different. Uh, I think that very much limits the downside of this market. Uh, so I, I very usually think it's a 78 to, and I know we said 95. Uh, Gerald thinks that might have be been a bit generous. I think if we get the forecast that we've talked about, I think the world wants more than about, uh, 14 and a half, 14, 7 million bales of, of U.S. cotton, I think the market has the ability to move a bit higher than that, uh, particularly if that weather forecast is realized. So, and, you know, I have to say, it's the first time I've, I've dealt with a pandemic, so I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I feel uh, kind of fumbling around in the dark, but demand seems extremely good on a consumer level. And I think that the food inflation we're going to see is going to keep uh, prices, uh, help underpin prices. Sorry, I got a little lengthy there. Okay, O.A.? Yeah, it's hard to
0: disagree
4: with him at all. In fact, I totally agree with him. Uh, uh, Certainly, we all have to add caveats there. Uh, I I think, uh, if I may, uh, in conversation with Ed Jernigan a couple of weeks ago and then with – uh, a tweet by this gentleman in Chicago, Zapata, uh, just commented that all of the Brazilian 2021 crops already been hedged. So there's no selling pressure from there. But there will be a lot of uh, new crop, 22 crop, that starts to get hedged on 21 deck 21. So there will be some selling pressure there. But uh, I, I don't know that it's going to be strong enough to hold this deck back either. I like the 90-cent uh, objective in the near term. Uh, my current objective, of course, is 88 cents, and my next one is 92 cents. I think Gerald has it, 91.16 or something like that. So uh, uh, his is more accurate than mine. But uh, I'm not going to give a top side to December because we get into more trouble in Brazil, trouble in India, uh, more trouble in China. Uh, uh, it, it, I think it was, I think it was, kept at and, uh, it, Nick, and it could even go a little bit higher. Uh, so just, to just say here, said eighty, eighty eighty cent
0: bottom, and wherever on the top. Okay. Any any closing comments from anyone? You know,
5: one thing that, you know, today the CPI came out and, and 4.2% year over year. And I know that's a big number. you got to think about what happened a year ago. Things were in the toilet. So, you know, it may be a little bit exaggerated. But the fact of the matter is, is you know, bonds rallied today or yields rallied today and uh, the dollar rallied big time as a result. So if we continue to see some upward pressure on the dollar index, that may tend to hold things a little bit in check. Um, I think I think the dollar is having some sort of a reflex reaction here, and, uh, you know, I don't follow it that close, but some of the technical guys out there are suggesting that the dollar, while it might rally here short term, you know we're going to go down pretty hard uh, over, over time, and that's that's certainly not unfriendly to to cotton at all. Okay. Good comment, Joe. Yes, very true. Well, let's
0: wrap let's wrap it up and say uh, we do appreciate uh, David uh, Zerden for joining us. Uh, thanks to our cotton panel. As always, we want to thank BASF for making this program possible, and that concludes this edition. Of the uh ag market network, thanks for joining us thank you. Thank thank you. So. Thank you.